Good evening, this is WKPR Nightly News with your host, Kevin. Good evening, I'm your tonight's host, Kevin. Tonight's top news stories are... Newsom cruises to victory and recall. South Carolina lawyer enlisted hitman for $10 million. Fate of Robert Durst in jury's hands after long murder trial. FBI fires agent accused of failing to investigate. Family of New York woman missing on road trip. And is Biden's vaccine mandate unconstitutional? That and more on WKPR Nightly News. We begin our top news story with the Newsom recall out in California. California Governor Gavin Newsom staved off in an attempt to remove him from office Tuesday, prevailing in the state's unusual recall election. NBC News projects Newsom, a Democrat, faced serious headwinds and multiple crises as polls over the summer showed him in real jeopardy. But Newsom, with the help of party leaders, including President Joe Biden, succeeded in rousing Democratic voters with a message that warned a Republican replacement would roll back COVID project protections and betray the state's progressive character. The recall election asked voters whether Newsom should be removed, yes or no, and gave voters who wanted him ounced and choose of 46 alternatives. Newsom thanked California voters for keeping him in office. We said yes to science. We said yes to vaccine, Newsom said, in brief remarks as at a news conference. We said yes to ending, ending his pandemic. We said yes to people's rights to vote without fear. We said yes to women's constitutional right to decide. Newsom and National Democrats took no chances, pouring millions of dollars into what should have been a cakewalk with memories fresh from the last recall in 2003, when California voters terminated then-Democratic Governor Gray Davis and replaced him with Republican movie star Arnold Schwarzenegger. Newsom, from the beginning, sought to portray the recall as a right-wing power grab, but struggled to get Democratic voters to pay attention until the entrance of conservative radio host Larry Elder, who jumped into the race late and immediately shot to the top of the polls of replacement candidates. Let's be generous in defeat, Elder told their supporters Tuesday, right Tuesday night after they booed when he mentioned Newsom. We may have lost the battle, but we are going to win the war. Registered Democrats outnumbered registered Republicans in California nearly two to one. So the only way to recall the recall could succeed was if Democrats didn't bother voting or go behind the effort to remove Newsom. In the end, the state's liberals showed up in droves, took to back the Democrat and keep California out of the hands of someone like Elder. National Democrats hope 
The race can be a model for next year's midterm elections. Since Democrats have typically had a hard time motivating their voters in non-presidential races. Frustration with COVID-19 restrictions helped recall organizers gather the roughly 1.5 million signatures they needed to force the vote. But Newsom ended up making his support for mask and vaccine mandates the closing argument of his campaign, warning that a Republican replacement would undo his health restrictions if elected. And An NBC News exit poll found voters sided with Newsom on the public health measures with popularity, or 45%, saying Newsom's COVID policies are about right, compared to 32% who said the measures are too strict. Another 18% said they were strict enough. The NBC News exit poll results of early and election day voters found 70% support Newsom's mandate requiring students to wear masks in schools, and 63% said getting vaccinated against the coronavirus is more a public health responsibility than a personal choice. The governor has been weighed down by a slew of issues facing the state, but those voting for and against recalling him had different views of which issues were most important, according to NBC News exit poll. Among voters who wanted Newsom removed, the economy was the top issue for 27% of them, followed by homelessness, which was the top issue for 23% of those in favor of recall. Crime was the top issue for 17% and the COVID pandemic for 15%, according to the exit poll. The pandemic was the top issue for... 42% of those who wanted to keep Newsom in office. That was followed by homelessness, cited by 22%, wildfires, 18%, the economy, 9%, and crime at 2%. As polls showed Newsom likely to survive the recall, Republicans begin to sow baseless seeds of doubt about the integrity of the vote from former President Donald Trump, calling it rigged. The elders' campaign promote promoting a website that claimed it had found fraud in the results before they were even released. On to our next story. South Carolina lawyer Alex Murga arranged for another man to kill him earlier this month so that his son could collect on $10 million life insurance policy, authorities said Tuesday. McGraw, 50, McDowell, 53, survived the September 4th shooting, which happened months after the unsolved slayings of his wife and adult son. Police say that Murdaugh told 911 that he was shot in the head while changing a flat tire and that the shooting caused only a superficial wound. His attorney, Richard Harputlin, told uh, NBC's Today show on Wednesday that his client was trying to get off opiates he was taking to get over the death of his son and wife when he became depressed. Believing his insurance policy had a suicide clause, Murdaugh enlisted a man to kill him during a fake car breakdown, according to the attorney. The shame 
The scheme was an attempt on his part to do something to protect his child, Harputlian said. In a written statement, Harputlian and Jim Griffin, another attorney for Murdoch, said, Murdoch said it had become clear Alex believed that ending his life was his only option. Today, he knows that that's not true. For 20 years, there have been many people feeding his addiction to opiates. During that time, these individuals took advantage of his addiction and ability to pay substantial funds for illegal drugs, the statement said. One of those individuals took advantage of his mental illness and agreed to take Alex's life by shooting him in the, in, in the head. On Tuesday, Curtis Edward Smith, 61, was arrested on charges of assisted suicide, assault and battery of the high aggravated nature, pointing and presenting a firearm, insurance fraud, and conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, according to the South Carolina State Law Enforcement Division, SLED. Officials with the agency said that Smith of Waterboro was also arrested on charges of distribution of methamphetamine and possession of marijuana. Smith was being held in jail Tuesday night, officials said. It is not immediately clear if he had an attorney. Collectian County records show Murdaugh had been Smith's lawyer in 2013 speeding case, the Associated Press reported. Additional charges were expe expected in the case, according to SLED. Murdaugh allegedly gave Smith a gun and directed Smith to kill him. Documents released by investigators Tuesday stated. Murdaugh allegedly admitted to the, the law enforcement agency that the plan was for Smith to kill him, so that Murdaugh's surviving son could collect a life insurance policy worth approximately $10 million, according to the documents. Alex is totally cooperating, Harpulian said Wednesday. We called SLED. They didn't call us. He didn't want law enforcement to spend time on his fake crime instead of Maggie and Paul. Earlier this summer, Margaret and Paul were found dead near dog kennels on the family's hunting property in Collington County west of Charleston. Their deaths have been classified by state investigators as a double homicide. Alex Murdaugh, a personal injury attorney, called 911 at 10.07 p.m. June 7th and told a dispatcher that his wife and son were on the ground and not breathing, according to records released by authorities. He said he had just returned and asked, to, asked the dispatcher to please hurry. Arpulian said Murdaugh had nothing to do with the murders. He is totally distraught. The attorney said he did not murder them. Alex Murdaugh's family, <clears throat> father, family, patriarch Randolph Murdaugh the third died at 81 just days after Paul and Margaret's were killed. Murdaugh was in part of the prominent South Carolina, Carolina legal family. He has not been charged with any crime, Harpillian said Wednesday, that he fully expects him to be arrested soon. I think he will be charged, he said, reiterating that Murdaugh doesn't want this case diverting resources from the investigation into the murders of the Murdaugh's wife, Margaret, and the adult son, Paul. Harpulian and Murdaugh law team is pursuing their own investigation and said they have zeroed in at least one suspect. The motive would be personal, he said. 
Days after, on September 4th, shooting, Murdaugh said in a statement that he resigned from his job at the law firm to enter rehab. He said he made a lot of decisions that I truly regret and that the murders of his wife and son are caused, have caused an incredibly difficult period. The law firm said that Murdaugh resigned only after the partners discovered he had allegedly misappropriated funds on Monday, South Carolina law officials announced that it was looking into accusations that Murdoch misappropriated money from the firm. Murdoch's law license was indefinitely suspended. Murdoch's father and grandfather and great-grandfather all held the top prosecutor's position in South Carolina's 14th district, which covers a coastal region of the state known as Low County, totaling more than 80 years. The the family's powerful legal connections were in the spotlight after Paul Murdaugh was indicted in a boat crash in 2019 that left 19-year-old Malroy Beach dead. A police report said people on the boat were grossly grossly intoxicated. Local reports after the crash said that Murdaugh family did not initially cooperate with law enforcement agencies' investigation and the officers never gave Paul Murdaugh, who was believed to have been driving the boat, an alcohol breath test, according to the South Carolina Department of Natural Resources, which led the investigation. Murdaugh pled not guilty to three felony counts of boating under the influence. He had been out on personal recognized bond of $50,000 at the time of his death. As a matter of protocol, the charges were dropped last month. of Robert Durst. A Los Angeles jury began deliberating Tuesday in the lengthy murder trial of New York real estate heir Robert Durst after a prosecutor described him as a narcissistic psychopath who needs to be held accountable. Deputy District Attorney John Lewin told jurors in Los Angeles County Superior Court that Durst, a multi-millionaire, had lived a privileged life in which he played by his own rules and only cared about himself. Lewin said he didn't kill for pleasure, but to resolve problems when backed into a corner. Bob Durst is not crazy. He's not some nutjob serial killer who goes around killing for the thrill of it, Lewin said. Don't let his narcissistic psychopath get away with what he has done. Durst, 78, who was hunched in a wheelchair in a light blue sports coat, had pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder charge in the point-blank shooting of Susan Berman, his confidant. Juries deliberated about three hours before recessing for the day. They began hearing evidence in March 2020 before taking a 14-month break period during the pandemic. The case resumed in May. Prosecutors say Durst killed Berman in December of 2000 at her home, and she planned to speak with police about a phony alibi she provided for him when his wife vanished in New York in 1982. Lewin and Berman was killed because she was a witness. Prosecutors presented evidence of K. 
Kathy Durst's presumed killing to provide his motive and also introduced evidence from a Galveston, Texas trial where he was acquitted of murder in the shooting death of a neighbor. Durst had gone into hiding in, in Texas and in late 2000 to avoid what he believed were intermediate charges in New York when authorities reported the investigation into his wife's disappearance. He testified that Morris Black pulled a gun on him in Durst's apartment and was shot in the head during a struggle for the weapon. The defense challenged the strength of the evidence presented by prosecutors, arguing there was no evidence of Kathy Durst's death and generally a lack of forensic and direct evidence in the case. They said prosecutors failed to pr prove that B Beerman impersonated Kathy Durst to call in sick at the medical school and she attended the day after her husband last saw her. The call made it appear she was still alive after Robert Durst had seen her. Everything, everything's been this theory, but with no meat to the bone, no evidence, defense attorney David Shiznoff said, you know that what I'm telling you is real. Kathy Durst has never been found and no one has been charged in her disappearance. Durst faces a life sentence if he's convicted. The defense claimed that prosecutors beat up a sick old defenseless man during nine days of brutal cross-examination in which Durst admitted lying under oath and made numerous damning admissions. Among other things, Durst testified he didn't kill Katherine Durst or Berman, but said he would lie if he had. I just hope when this is over, you let Mr. Durst be in a hospital or his, of his choosing and let out whatever time he has left, Hanoff said. Lewin encountered that, countered that Durst was only old and feeble because he had been able to live a full life unlike his victims. He's up here. He's old and sick. He's, he got to live to be old, Lewin said. Kathleen never made it. 2.30, Susan Beerman, his close friend, horribly executed, Morris Black, murdered, and then dismembered. He's lucky to have gotten to live to be 78, to have the health issues he does because his victims and families don't have the same peace of mind. FBI agent accused an FBI agent accused of failing to properly investigate US, USA gymnastics doctor Larry Narser has been fired by the agency, NBC News has confirmed. The firing of the agent Michael Langman came after a Justice Department Inspector General report released in July criticized him and his boss agent in the charge, Jay Abbott for their handling in the case. It said they failed to respond to allegations by gymnasts that they had been sexually abused by Nasser, which the urgency that the allegations required. Langman was a supervisory special agent in the FBI's Indianapolis field office when he interviewed Olympic, Olympic medalist Michaela Marnini in 2015. After her allegations of abuse by Nasser, the Inspector General report said that he and Abbott lied to investigators from the Inspector General's office about their 
actions, and that they never officially opened an investigation. When the report was released this summer, Langman was no longer acting as an FBI agent, federal law enforcement sources said. An agent cannot be fired while an inspector general investigation is pending. And the probe lasted three years. Abbott retired several years ago. The firing of Langman was first reported by the Washington Post. In 2017, Nasser pled guilty to abusing 10 of the more than 265 women and girls who have came forward to say they were molested or raped. He is serving 175 years in prison. The Senate Judiciary Committee on Wednesday is holding a hearing about the FBI's handling of the Nasser case featuring testimony from Olympic gymnast Simone Biles, Monterey, Monterey Maggie Nichols, and Ali Raisman. FBI Director Christopher Rory who was not leading the agency during the Nasser investigation and Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horitz are also expected to testify. Rory is expected to outline charges that have been put in place to ensure the agency conducts proper investigations into such sexual abuse allegations in the future. NBC reported in July that Nasser is still owes five of his victims nearly $58,000 even as he has had more than $12,000 deposited into his inmate account in federal prison. Earlier this month, court documents showed that a USA Gymnastics reorganization plan includes up to $425 million for survivors who say they were sexually abused by Nasser. Family of New York woman. Family of a New York woman who went missing while on a cross-country road trip said Tuesday that her fiance, who was the trip, who was on the trip with her, is refusing to say where he last saw her or why he returned from the trip without her. The family of 22-year-old Gabrielle. Gabby Petro from the Long Island hamlet of Blue Point reported her missing over the weekend when she fell out of contact during a road trip to Wyoming. They have now said Brian Lundry, her fiancé, who was traveling with her, won't help find her. The Schmidt and Petro family are going through the worst moments of their lives, Richard Stafford, the family's attorney, said in a statement to NBC News. Their beautiful 22-year-old daughter is missing, and the one person that can help find Gabby refuses to help. Brian Laundrie is traveling with Gabby in the Grand Teton Yellowstone area. They were traveling together in Gabby's 2012 Ford Transit van. That is where they believe where we believe Gabby was last seen, Stafford said. Laundrie's attorney did not immediately respond to a request for comment on this statement. From Petro's family, police have not identified Laundry as a suspect, nor have they associated him with Petro's disappearance. Earlier Tuesday, the fiancé's family released a statement saying this is understandably an extremely difficult time for both the Petro family and the Laundry family. It is our understanding that a search has been organized for Miss Petro in or near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming, the family said in a statement released by their lawyer, Stephen P. Barrett Molino. On behalf of the 
Lundry family. It is our hope that the search for Miss Petro is successful and that Miss Petro is reunited with her family. They added on advice of the council that Laundry family is remaining in the background at the justice and will juncture and will have no further comment. Petro's family attorney responded directly to the statement Tuesday morning. The Schmidt and Petro family begged the Laundry family to not remain in the background, but to help find who Brian referred to as the love of his life, Stafford said. How does Brian stay in the background when he is the one person who knows where Gabby is located? Petro and La Laundry had been documenting their travels in a white 2012 Ford Transit van on YouTube under the monikers Nomadic Static and Van Life. Pet Petro was last known to be in Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming in late August. The Ford van with Florida plates and laundry eventually got back to the city of Northport, south of Tampa, without, but without the woman, police said. We currently have no definitive information that a crime took place here in New Northport, the city's police said in a statement Monday. With that said, the circumstances are odd. The vehicle she was traveling in was located here in Northport. So we are actively gathering local details and any evidence to assist in finding needed answers. Officers re retrieved the van Saturday for forensic tests. Northport police spokesman Josh Taylor said the FBI Tampa field office is also actively in assisting Suffolk County Police in New York with the investigation, Northport Police said. Police now know Laundry is at the family's Northport home, but they hadn't made contact with him by hadn't made contact with him by late Tuesday afternoon, officials said. Laundry family has asked police to talk to their attorney if they have any questions. Brian is refusing to tell Gabby's family where he last saw her, Stafford said. Brian is also refusing to explain why he left Gabby all alone and drove her van to Florida. There are critical questions that require immediate answers. Next story, is Joe Biden's vaccine protocol unconstitutional? President Joe Biden had not finished announcing the details of his new plan to reduce the spread of COVID-19 Tuesday when the criticism started pouring in. Using executive orders and agency directives, he mandated the full vaccination of all federal employees, federal contractors, and Medicaid and Medicare-funded healthcare facility workers. He also directed the Labor Department to draft an emergency rule requiring private companies with 100 or more employees to ensure their workers are either fully vaccinated or to take weekly COVID tests. The Federalist characterized the mandates as a fascist. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, South Carolina Governor Christy Noem, and the Republican National Committee promised to sue the administration. And numerous critics far and wide characterized the president's vaccine-related rules as unconstitutional. 
The black the backlash is likely only to increase because Dr. Anthony Fauci recently said he support a vaccine mandate for air travel. The ferocity of the outrage suggests that there is some considerable uncertainty about the unconstitutionality of Biden's plan, or at least thorny and complicated legal questions based on compelling Supreme Court proceedings. But in fact, the constitutionality of what Biden intends to do is fairly straightforward, so long as the courts follow settled precedent. The federal courts have uniformly rejected constitutional challenges to government government vaccine mandates so as long as they don't single out one demographic group in any way that's discriminatory the supreme court has done so since 1905 case jacobson versus massachusetts when a smallpox epidemic set through the the bay state to stem the disease the Board of Health of Cambridge, Massachusetts, passed an ordinance that criminalized by a $5 fine the refusal of anyone over 21 years of age to be vaccinated against the virala smallpox virus. This has been a WKPR Nightly News. We now return you back to your regular scheduled programming.